This is Write Your Own Story, Three Keys to Rise and Thrive in Life and Business. I'm your host, Rebecca Fleetwood-Hessian. Opportunities are everywhere. And that statement has never been more true. And so today's episode, I hope that you listen to our guest, Dre Baldwin, and it inspires you to spend some time with you asking yourself, what do I want? What am I passionate about? What am I willing to just take that first step? Because I know that Dre's story is going to inspire you and give you some practical, tactical, like, what would I do next? Here we go. Your story starts in high school, sitting on the bench, on the basketball team. And I was a cheerleader in a small town in Indiana where basketball is everything. And the guys that sit on sat on the bench were good sports, but they weren't loving life a lot of the times. <laughs> so you've gone from that to four TED Talks, 33 books, ads with Nike, Gatorade, Wendy's. That is a progression that I just want to dig into. So I really believe that our lives are supposed to play out like that. Like things just build one upon another and you use whatever from the last chapter for the next one. So can we just walk Mm. through the progression of how Dre went from high school bench sitter to a gazillion books? I don't know how you've written that many books from the the amount of time that you have, but we'll talk about that another day. (laughs) Walk us through some of this. Sure. So, yeah, I was sitting on the bench in high school playing basketball. I picked up basketball or decided on basketball kind of relatively late. It was around age 14, which is pretty late if you're trying to play college ball, let alone pro ball. And I had there was a learning curve. You know, I just had to learn how to play basketball and learn the game. So during that four years of high school, I could feel myself progressively getting better, but I wasn't getting better enough to catch up to the guys who have been playing since they were six or seven years old. So that one year on the team, I did at least finally make the roster, which felt like an accomplishment for me. But then I had a front row seat, right, sitting on the bench the whole season to watch the games. At the end of that season, Rebecca, I still felt like I was getting better. So even though I didn't play, I was happy that I made the team because that had been a goal like during high school, just make the team. And that gave me some legitimacy in my own mind. And now I was on my way to college. I was going to college one way or another, not necessarily for sports. But I figured I would just try to walk on whatever school I went to. I happened to go to a school that sports wise is a pretty small school and I made the team there. But it was a division three school, which is the third tier of college sports. So for people who follow people who watch sports on TV or people don't even know it that well, when you watch March Madness NCAA tournament, that's division one. So we're division three down in the the basement of (laughs) uh, college sports. And the the division three level does not produce pro athletes. As a matter of fact, most players who play division three sports are pretty, you know, quote unquote, realistic about the fact that they're probably not going pro. They're playing because they can. It's available. But if they were at a Division One school, they probably wouldn't even try. They would say, I'll just go to school, go to class, get my degree and move on to the next phase of life, which is not going to be sports. And I just happen to have this ambition to go play pro, which most players, again, at that level aren't even considering. It's not even there's not really a realistic thing. So getting out of college, there was nobody knocking on my door to come play pro. So this is not the normal pro athlete story where the athlete has all these opportunities and you just have to pick one. I had no opportunity to have to go make one. So getting <laughs> out of school, I, my first job out of school was actually not playing sports, Rebecca. I don't think I, I don't think you noticed. I worked at Foot Locker. That was my first job. I was an assistant manager. 
Then I worked at a gym called Bally Total Fitness. You remember them? Oh, absolutely. Bally Total Fitness. Yeah. Bally's out of business now, but not because of me. <laughs> I sold a lot of memberships. So good, I was good. a pretty good salesperson. So this is 2004 into 2005 to give everybody a time frame here. Okay. And then in 2005, so this is a year after graduating college, I went to this event called an exposure camp. So exposure camp is like a job fair, but for athletes. Gotcha. Now, Instead of you showing up like you would at a job fair with your you know, best business clothes and resumes, you actually bring your sneakers and shorts to an okay. exposure camp and you play your sport. And the audience is not just random people. The audience is agents, managers, coaches, scouts, team owners from all over the world because these are destination events. So it's kind of like a conference. Mm -hmm. These people come to these events because they are looking for talent the next talent that's going to be on their teams and overseas, the you know, teams in Europe, they look at Americans as, you know, we're expected to be more talented than the guys in Europe. So they're coming to grab an American and bring them over there to Finland, to Iceland, to Spain, to France, wherever to come play on the team and be you know, one of the better players on the team. So that's the way that the business is set up in a rough idea of it. Gotcha. So exposure camps, you pay to go to these. These are not free either. So you pay to come to these events. So I paid uh, $250 in cash. I didn't have a credit card or a bank account at this time, 23 years of age. I negotiated with them. I asked them, could I pay in cash at the door? And they said, yes. They would have took anybody's money. I know that now. But <laughs> they, they said, yeah. And the, the event was in Orlando, Florida. Now, I live in Miami now, but I'm from Philadelphia. So at oh, the time, wow. I'm in Philadelphia. So me and a couple of my teammates who were also went to school with me, and we all had similar ambitions of playing pro, we rented a car in Philadelphia, and we drove from Philly to Orlando. Now, anybody who doesn't know that geography, that's about a 15-hour drive. Yeah. We left on Friday afternoon. The camp started at 9 a.m. Saturday morning. So we jumped out of the car at 9 a.m. Saturday morning in Orlando and started playing at this exposure camp. You played two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. I played pretty well, got a good uh, write-up, which was basically a scouting report, which was valuable for me because I needed a third-party source that was saying that I was good. It's one thing if I'm saying I'm good, it's another thing another person says it. Right. So I had a third party source saying that I was good. And I got the footage from that exposure camp, which is very important because that's the proof that I can actually play. I can show this to you. So I went back home to Philly after that because the camp was Saturday, Sunday. I had to be back at work at Bally Total Fitness on Monday. So I had negotiated with my boss to get two days off. No, three days. because I had off Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And anybody who's ever worked in that space knows you never get the whole weekend off. I had to negotiate with my boss to get those days off. And I Both told my him, kids I'd are in retail. That is facts. Like, that's yeah, exactly. Not a in thing. retail, you never get the weekend off. <laughs> yeah. The weekend is kind of like the punishment everybody has to pay by working. Yeah. Right. So I told him I'll work like 21 days straight when I get back, which I literally did after I got back to make up for it. And I was the top salesperson there. So he didn't want me to not be there because right. Right. he needs those sales. Right. Because if he didn't make sales, he would lose his job. So I get back to Bali and now I'm back in Philly and I have this collateral now because now I can use this to sell myself. Well, I, I want to ask Google. a question about that. Yeah. Is that a known thing? Like I want the write-up, I want the footage, or did you intuitively know that? Did you and your buddies talk about that on the way down there? Okay, we're going to get a write-up and we're going to get footage. Was that like your goal? Yeah, that's a great question, Rebecca. I intuitively knew it. Me and my teammates did not really talk about that, but I, I know that they had it in mind. But I always had that in mind because, mind you, I graduated college in 2004. So I could have tried to get myself on a team in 2004. The reason I didn't is because I didn't have anything to show. All I had was whatever I could say about myself, but who's going to believe that? Right. So I needed some proof. So the reason I went to this camp was because I knew this part of their sales pitch. When anybody who comes to the camp, you get a write up and you get footage. So that's the reason that I chose this particular event, because I needed that write up and that footage. 
Now, at the same time, Rebecca, had I not played well, that right up in footage would not have helped me. So I needed to perform. Right. right. So I performed well, went back home. I went on Google. Now, Google did exist at the time. It wasn't as expansive as it is now, but it existed. And I just and I figured all right, I, I knew that my future was probably going to be playing professionally abroad outside of the United States. So I didn't know anybody outside of the USA. I've barely been out of the state of Pennsylvania most of my life. I went to school at Penn State Altoona, which is in the state of Pennsylvania. And I'm from Philly. So I don't know anybody overseas. So how am I going to sell myself to someone overseas? So I figure I need to connect with someone who has those connections. So this is the collaboration. I need to find an agent. So agents in sports are like agents in the literary world or entertainment world. They're the liaison between the talent and the job. So I started Googling basketball agents. That's what I was looked up, basketball agents. Any agent who had an email address or a phone number, I reached out to them cold. So I'm cold calling basketball agents in the summer of 2005 and telling them, hey, here's who I am. And I said, hey, here's what I have. I have a scouting report. I can send you the link to the scouting report and I can send you my footage. And these guys said, okay, well, let me see what you got. I cold called Rebecca 60 basketball agents that summer in about a span of about a month. And mind you, I'm doing this while I'm supposed to be at work calling uh, <laughs> prospects to come to the gym, but I'm in the phone Are room. Are you sure that's not why Valley's out of business? <laughs> <laughs> I was still making sales. I was still number one salesperson. I'm sure. So yeah, I'm calling basketball agents and you know, Googling them and emailing them and all this stuff. 60 agents and 20 of them said, okay, send me your footage. Let me see your footage because I sent the link to all of them, but 20 of them said, let me see the footage. So I sent the footage to 20 people. Now, mind you, this is summer of 2005. These websites where you can send a link did not exist yet. I had a, this footage from this exposure camp was on this thing called a VHS tape. You remember those? Oh, gosh. Yeah, so a VHS tape. And I had took the master VHS copy that I got from the exposure camp because you had to pay extra to get the footage. You had to pay for the footage. So it was about 20 bucks for the tape. And I went to this uh, store called Eckerd, which I don't know if they still exist, but the drugstore Eckerd. Huh? And I will buy, I had a double-decker VCR at home. So any of you millennials listening to this don't know what a VCR or VHS tape is. You no, know, ask your parents or your uncles or Google it. You know what it is. So I had a double-decker VCR at home. And I went and bought a 10-pack of blank VHS tapes from Eckerd. And I would make copies of his master tape because I couldn't send them to master because who knows if you ever get it back. Right. So I was sending out in a bubble mailer these yeah. VHS tapes, copies of the VHS tape to every agent who asked for it. The 20 who I sent the tape to, one of them replied back and said, hey, I will represent you. I'll sign you. So that one agent signed me and he got me my first contract. That was in late August 2005. And my first playing contract was in Countess, Lithuania. So that was my first time out of the country. And that's how I got started playing pro basketball. So that was five years from my last high school game to my first professional opportunity. Let's connect some dots for what our listeners are, are accustomed to in, in the themes of things here. One, you know what you wanted. And mm -hmm. I know that sounds simple, but in corporate America and the clients that I work with, too often we just get on a track, but we haven't asked ourselves, what do I want? In the beginning of career times, people will recommend, well, go, you know, go do this career, go to college for this, but not enough people have sat and just said, well, what do I want? Because when you know what you want, the diligence and effort feels different. It feels like purpose. It doesn't feel like work. So if you said to somebody, hey, I need you to drive through the night, work 21 days straight after you get back. I need you to make 60 cold calls. I need you to make these tapes. If you're not doing that out of purpose and passion for what you want, 
that's just a whole lot of freaking work. That's right. But when you know mm-hmm. what you want, that comes from a different place. That's Do you right. feel 100%. that? So you were driven in those. Because you, you also are using, the second thing I want to connect is, you were using the skills of each of your jobs as you were moving along. So sales funnel, 60 emails to 20 mailers to one signing, right? You knew your sales funnel worked. You knew that you had to have volume going in to get a few things on the other end. So all of these important parts of your experience are taking you to the next step. Yes. And technically, you're right. Looking back, it's like the Steve Jobs speech at Stanford, right? Looking back, yes, that all makes perfect sense. But did I know any of that then? No. I did not. So you were just going on sheer drive and passion and desire. Is that fair? That's right. I knew what I needed to do. And I knew that, okay, I need to get some good footage of myself playing against high level players. So I have to go to a camp. All right. I don't know anybody overseas. So I have to connect with someone who does. So let me find an agent. And then once I found an agent, I had to let the agent do their job. So those are the, basically the three steps that I had to follow. Now, all of that stuff sounds great now, but back then I did not know it was going to work out that way. What was guiding you in those moments is what we call around here our inner thrive guide. We all are hardwired with meaning and purpose and desires. Have we sat enough with ourselves to know what those are? That's usually the first challenge that I encourage people to do. But then the second challenge is, are you listening to those inner voices? And I know you talk about those inner voices and the right questions to ask and things in some of your books as well. And it's you were just listening to your inner thrive guy saying, okay, I need this. I'll go get it. I need this. I'll go get it. And each time right. progressed you. That's right. Those are great and principles. 100%. And just having it in my mind, even from the year that I graduated school, because mind you, I didn't sign my first contract to a year and a half after I graduated from college. So that whole time, I'm just keeping my eye on because there was one website at that time you could look at that told you about exposure camps. So me and my teammates, we'd always be looking at that one website. Hey, let's go to this one. What about this one? What about this one? And we'd be planning because they would be in the summer. So in October and November, we're just talking about June and July. So we're thinking about this stuff all ahead of time and thinking about, all right, we got to save up our money because mind you, I'm a broke college graduate <laughs> living on a parent's home. So $250 was a stretch. Was a lot, right? Yeah. That was my last $250. Right? So I had to make that work. Right. And then the days off from work. So I'm not making any money. We had to pay for the hotel, pay for the car, pay for our food, pay for the gas. All of that stuff costs money. So we're thinking about all of this stuff in this process. So, yes, all of that was part of the equation. I have to ask, what about the other guys? What are they doing today? So uh, it was three of us who went to that camp. One of them, Wes Pfeiffer, he's a college coach at Western Oregon University now. He's a head coach at a college. He played overseas, too. He went overseas. Uh, right after me. So we're the only two guys from my school to ever actually play professional basketball. As a matter of fact, as I told you, that level doesn't produce pro players. And the other guy, he was with us. He didn't uh, end up going to play pro. That's I heard from him. He was going to coach some semi-pro team. That's another yeah. key. Nobody thrives alone when you've got people that are on the path with you. It certainly is fuel for the fire. So that's good stuff. All right, keep going. <laughs> so yeah, I started playing pro in Lithuania. This is 2005. So now I have this footage is on a VHS tape. Now, this footage is very valuable because, again, this is the best footage that I have of me playing basketball and playing well on tape. Now, mind you, it wasn't a normal thing to have yourself on tape back then. Back then, no anything that happened, nobody knows about it. There's no receipts, right? Right. We say now. 
<laughs> so <laughs> I, I wanted to save this footage because anybody who remembers VHS tapes, you might drop it somewhere. You leave it in the sun too long, it gets wet. The footage is gone. You, also, <laughs> you can't even leave it in your car on a hot day. And Right. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. if anything happens to that footage, it's gone. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking of how can I safe keep this footage? Because this is very viable. I might need this to get my next job after this one. So I heard of this new website that said, listen, you can put as much footage up on this website on the internet as you want completely for free. And it's unlimited as much as you want. This website is called youtube.com. And I took that VHS tape to an audio visual store and I asked them, can you put this on a data CD? And they did. They transferred it onto a CD. I paid like 60 bucks for them to do that. And I took that data CD and put it in my parents' desktop computer and I uploaded that footage to YouTube. And this is the first year YouTube came out. And the footage was just me, just some highlights of me from the exposure camp and like some stuff I did in college and all that stuff. And I just left it there. I didn't care because who cares about YouTube in 2005? You just didn't want to cart the, the VCR tape around anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. And you could lose it. Something yeah. might happen to it. Yeah. And I'm going overseas. So that was your my backup. parents might. Yeah, exactly. My parents <laughs> might just say, all right, well, he's gone. Let's just take all the stuff and throw it in the garbage. We don't need it anymore. So I didn't want to I didn't want to leave it to chance. So about six months later, I go back to this YouTube site just to make sure that YouTube still exists. Let's see if this video is still there. And what happened is there were comments on the video, Rebecca, that people have left comments and they're like, well, where do you play? Who taught you how to play? How often do you practice? You no. Know, what team are you on? You no. Know, where'd you go to school? And these are random people. And when I realized their light bulb went off immediately in my mind, Rebecca, that these were young men who are about 10 years younger than me, just a generation younger than me. And they had the same problem that I used to have when I was their age is that they were looking to learn how to play basketball, but they didn't have anybody to teach them. The difference between them and me is that me back in the, the 90s, I didn't have anybody to teach me. So I was left to figure it out on my own or not figure it out. And there was that was it. Right? Either somebody taught you or nobody taught you. And that was it. These guys, they could go to the Internet and crowdsource information. So that's what they were doing. They were going to the Internet to crowdsource knowledge, which was now a new thing. Now that's a, a common thing. Now, now right. we got you no know, bots that will tell you what questions to ask. <laughs> back now, they were going to YouTube and they happened to come across me now. Again, it's not like I was Kobe Bryant or LeBron James. They didn't know me. It's not like they were looking for Dre Baldwin. They were just looking for basketball. And I happened to have some basketball footage. And I was the first person putting basketball workouts on the internet for free at this time. So what I immediately realized was that this is an underserved audience. So how about I just take my little $100 camera, because this is before we had cameras on our phones. Let me take my little $100 camera with me to the gym every day, because I go to the gym every day anyway. And I'll just record my workouts and then I'll just take little pieces of them and I'll put them on this, this YouTube thing. All right, why not? I'm already doing it anyway. So the thing is, I didn't immediately just start putting videos out every day. This didn't automatically become some kind of content you know, strategy. I would put videos out sporadically once a month, every three weeks, whenever I got around to it. I would record something that would sit on my computer for weeks before I got around to it because, mind you, in, in 2005, You're also living six, life seven, and doing all your other stuff that you needed to do, right? I'm also yeah playing ball. And yeah. at this time, what are you? You're some bum living in your parents' basement who needs to you know, <laughs> shave, take a shower, and get a real job, right? right. That's, what, that's right. how people looked at you at that time. Right. So YouTube was nothing. There was no money to be made on YouTube. There's no influencers. There's no brand deals. None of this stuff existed. So that's why I didn't really care about it. So 2009, now mind you, at this time, I'm going back and forth between overseas basketball and coming back home, home overseas, home overseas. 2009, I found myself uh, unemployed. I'm waiting for the phone to ring. And this is kind of how it is. And I know many of your listeners probably don't know how overseas basketball is. It's a very shadowy industry. 
But if you think of actors and actresses, you know any of their stories that sometimes they're in between jobs, they're working as a waiter or a bartender. It's like that in the basketball world. Like you could be in between jobs. You don't know when that phone's going to ring again. So 2009, the phone's not ringing. I don't have a job. I'm in my mid to late 20s at this point. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do here? I need to take some control over my destiny. Mm -hmm. So now this harkens back to something that happened going back in the story. In 2000 and about 2001, 2002, I was on my college campus. It was near the end of the spring semester. So we're about to go home for the summer. And I saw this billboard, bulletin board posting that said, hey, do you want to make some extra money in the summer? And what college student doesn't want to make extra money? We need it. I don't know if everybody wants to make it, but we all need it. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. So <laughs> I need some extra money. So I ripped off the little phone number and I called it. And this guy, it was a meeting. Only three people showed up to this little meeting this guy had. Turns out it was network marketing. This guy was doing some kind of network marketing. It doesn't even, it was not even important what the company was, but I went to a couple of the meetings, right? Yeah. I went back to Philly. I went to a couple of the meetings. Now, at these network marketing meetings, now I got to insert something in here. I have a business degree from Penn State University, four-year business degree. At these network marketing meetings, these people, any, anyone ever been to a network marketing meeting? I think all of us have been to at least one of them, right? Yeah. About 75% of the meeting is not really about the product or the service of the company. About 75% of the meeting is just about principles of entrepreneurship mm -hmm. because they have to break your false beliefs about how to make money so they can insert the new thing in because they can't tell you the new thing until they break the old stuff, right? Yeah. So 75% of this meeting, they're just talking about how entrepreneurship works. And I'm listening to this and I'm like, this makes too much sense. Mm -hmm. I got a business degree. How did they not, everything they said at that meeting that I never learned it in a college classroom, not one thing. The things they were saying in that meeting. And I'm like, how is this? How did nobody ever taught this? So I'm listening to it. I'm like, this makes perfect sense. Uh, whatever they're talking about, I want to go in that direction. It might not be with this company or this product. And the company was a legal shield, prepaid legal, which still exists to this yeah, day. Yeah. And I actually have a membership. And <laughs> my dad still has his membership. He was my first customer. He still has the membership <laughs> to this very day. I love so, it. <laughs> yeah. So I remember just listening to what they were saying. I, I joined, but I didn't stay in it. I wasn't thorough. I was a college student. But I remember just listening to the stuff and I'm like, this is what I need to be doing. Whatever they're talking about, I need to be doing something like this. I know I'm going to play basketball first when I get out of college. But after that, I need to do this. And this other thing that they would say, Rebecca, and this kind of connects to how we got to where we are today. And I'm sure we'll go through the rest of the story is at the end of the meetings, half the room is people who are in the business and half the room are the guests that got brought to the meeting. Right. So they would always say, hey, when the meeting's over, there's a table outside the room, the hotel room. Make sure you buy the personal development books. They would always say that. Get the personal development. Get the personal development because they were big on you got to build yourself first before you can build your business. They would always say that. And I never heard anybody say anything like that before. I've always been a big reader. My mom's an educator. She had my sister and I reading from a very young age. She's into early education. So my sister and I had a head start. We basically <laughs> cheated. We had a teacher in the house. And I've always been to reading books and my mom would always go to the bookstores and buy books and stuff for herself. She would teach young kids and stuff. And I would wander around the bookstore and I always went to two sections, the sports section and the human psychology section mm -hmm. and human psychology. Now they call it personal development. Right. right. Back then it was just all one section called human psychology. Now it's business, personal development, no personal growth. Now they got a bunch of different subsections. Back then it was one category. And I would always go there because I was always interested in the human mind, how it worked and how our thoughts led to our actions. So when I heard them saying personal development, I said, and I went and looked and saw what the books were. I said, this is the kind of stuff that I want to read. I'm interested in this. Yeah. And they would name drop these authors who I never heard of. They would name drop Napoleon Hill, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, Brian Tracy, Tony Robbins. And I never heard of these guys. I'm like, who are these people? I don't know who they are. And I couldn't afford to buy the books. Right? So this is what I did. 
I went, got back to my college campus. I went on eBay. This is back before Amazon was the thing. You went on eBay to buy stuff. And I bought pirated copies of Think and Grow Rich. What was the other one? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert yep. Kiyosaki. Yeah. 99 cents each. And there was just Word documents. Somebody just Word documented the books and I bought pirated copies for 99 cents each. And I read both of those books right there on my computer, just scrolling through the Word document. And I remember reading Robert Kiyosaki. And I said, this is what I need to be doing. What this guy's talking about, the principles that he was sharing, just the first chapter of that book was life changing for me because I'm like, how, I, how am I in the business major here? And they're not talking about any of this. But this guy's talking about stuff that they never taught in college. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. When I get out, when I get done with basketball, however long that is, because again, who knows, I'm not even going to get a chance in basketball. When I'm done with basketball, I'm going to do this. So flash forward, 2009, phone's not ringing. I just finished reading digitized version of Rich Dad, Poor Dad was The Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. It's very similar principles if you look yeah. at the book side by side, but his was for the digital world because he yeah. was talking about doing things on the internet and outsourcing and how you can hire somebody in India to be a personal assistant. Whereas Robert Kiyosaki was kind of laying the foundation of just understanding how to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And I just finished reading Tim Ferriss and I said, all right, let me figure out what I can do here. Because Tim Ferriss is talking about how to do it on the internet and I'm on the internet. Because I've always been kind of a computer geek and I had these YouTube videos. I have a little blog going. I'm writing and I'm making videos. So I said, all right, Tim Ferriss had a blog post on his website because Tim Ferriss, a lot of people, they know him for his books. But what really helped his book blow up was that he was blogging heavily before the oh, books came yeah. out. That's yeah. how he sold so many books. Right. He had a big audience on his blog. Oh, my gosh. His email his... list was, I forget how many tens or hundreds right. of thousands, right? Yeah. Right. Before the books came out. Mm -hmm. And that's how he sold so many books. A lot of yeah. people think it's just a book. You just put out a book and it sells. No, not at all. We, so, we both know that. It's not the way that works. Right. <laughs> exactly. So he had done a lot of groundwork. So I'm reading his blog constantly. You know, his blog, he had this little experiment. He said, if you want to sell a product on the internet, here's how you do it. He said, step one, go to this free hosting site called Weebly, which still exists to this day. And you get a free one-page hosting thing for free one-page hosting account. Yep. And you put a one-page website up, and this is what you do. You put the name of what your product is going to be. You say, here's the name of the product. Here's what it does. Give a brief description of the product, a couple paragraphs, maybe a paragraph. And then you put a little button that says, buy this product for, and then you put how much it's going to cost. And when people click on that button, it takes them to the second page of the site. And the second page of the site says, well, this product is under construction, but as soon as it's ready, we will email you. Put your email address in, and we'll let you know when it's ready. And this is what Tim said to do. So Step three. So step one is the free site. Step two is design a page. Step three, go to Google AdWords and you put $5 in ads on the keyword that your product is about. So I went and put $5 in ads on basketball training, something like that. Now, as a caveat to everybody listening to this, this is 2008. Today, that would probably be about $500, not $5. Right. But it was $5 You've back You've been on then, the so cutting put... edge of every piece of this. This is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. I was looking. The necessity is the mother of invention, right? So I put the $5 in ads. I did exactly what he said. And he said, no, make sure you send this to just Google, not just your friends, because your friends might put their email address in to be nice to you, but you need people who don't know you all right, to make sure this is viable. And people were putting their email address in. I was getting emails email addresses. And he said, if you get people putting their email address in who don't know you and have no reason to be nice to you, you have a viable product, go make it and sell it. So I did that and I got email addresses. I went and made the product. It was called Hoop Handbook, Hoop for Basketball, okay. Hoop Handbook. Yeah. And I made two programs, how to one program for how to dribble the basketball, another program for how to shoot the basketball. 
They were $4.99 a piece. I went and made those programs. And one day I made these programs and I put a video on YouTube because I had an audience now on YouTube. And I'm a little bit more consistent, but still about once a month making videos. I said, hey, everybody, I got these new programs because these players always ask me, Dre, how can I practice like you? How can I learn how to practice the way you practice? Can you make a program for me? I would get individuals asking that and I would say no, because how can I make a program for every person? And I said, all right, I'm, I may have, I have programs now because they're all, always asking me. Go to this website, whopanbook.com. The link's down below in the description. Click on this and go buy the programs. And immediately they started buying. Immediately those programs started selling. $4.99 a piece. So this is not enough to retire on. But Tell I'm me what sales. you're feeling when that's happening, when you start to see that turn. Oh, I'll of, tell you. Tell me yeah, that. Yeah, I'll tell you. So at the time I had a, a BlackBerry phone. You remember the BlackBerry? Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so the BlackBerry... At the time, if you got an email or a text message, there was a little red light that would blink on the phone. And I remember that night, the day I put the video up, that night, it was about 9 o'clock at night, my BlackBerry's blinking. I look at it, I get an email, and it says, congratulations, you made a sale. And when I made that first sale, Rebecca, and it said $4.99, I said, this is what I'm going to be doing the rest of my life, this right here. Because I understood that even though at that time, I'm still in my 20s, I knew I wouldn't be able to jump 40 inches in the air forever. All right. At some point, I'm not going to be the guy on the basketball court. But what I had just done was I took an idea out of nowhere, turned it into a tangible thing, put it out to the world and turned it into money, which we now call intellectual property. I did not know that phrase back then, but I just made something out of nothing. I said, I could do this forever. My brain will work forever. I won't be able to jump over everybody forever, but I can do this forever. So when I made that first sale, I said, this is where I'm going to be. Now, mind you, my phone wasn't ringing for basketball. I wanted it to ring, and it did ring again because I kept playing ball until 2015. But between 2009 and 2015, I had two careers going at the same time. I'm playing basketball, and I'm building up my audience on internet. And what happened is YouTube gets purchased by Google. Now, YouTube says, we will pay you money to put videos on YouTube. You get ad revenue, which now is a common thing. Back then was new. Back then, you had to apply to get them to put ads on your videos, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. So there was a time, everybody, that you could watch YouTube all day without seeing a single ad. But now, <laughs> <laughs> but back then you had to apply. So I applied, got rejected the first time. Second time I applied, I said in my application, I'm going to put videos out every day, even though I had no idea how I'll come up with that many ideas. Now, 8,000 videos later, I, I put videos out. <laughs> I kept putting videos out every single day because I just came up with a format and a basically a process where I can come up with one idea and I could turn it into 30 videos. So every one idea became 30 videos. And I just kept doing that. About 2010, here's another thing to happen. And this all leads to where we are today. 2010, these players kept asking me questions about mindset because they heard about my background. Like, Dre, why do you come to the gym every day to work out? Because I told them I'm a pro basketball player. So 2008, 2009, I'm making these videos and people are leaving comments like, where do you play? And I said, well, I'm a pro basketball player. They're like, you're a pro basketball player. You're in an empty gym in Miami practicing by yourself. What do you mean? Where's the team? At? <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm unemployed right now. <laughs> so they would ask, how do you get yourself to keep working out every day when you don't even know where your next dollar is coming from? So that led me to talking about discipline. Then these players would say, well, Dre, I heard you say you only made your high school team one time. Dre, I just got cut from my high school team and I'm a freshman. I'm a sophomore. I'm a junior. How do you get the confidence to make sure you're ready to perform that one day of the year that you got a chance to make the basketball team? So that's where I started talking about confidence because these players will have performance anxiety. Then they said, well, Dre, you got cut from your high school team three times, yet you tried out a fourth time. You only played one year of high school and you didn't really play. You sat the bench, but then you still tried to make the team in college. 
You played Division three in college. Nobody asked you to play pro, yet you still tried to play pro. What is in your mind that pushed you to keep trying, despite the fact that there was nothing in your reality that said this was going to happen? I started talking about mental toughness. Then they said, well, Dre, you actually kind of have a name on the Internet. You're kind of like known on the Internet. How can I get started getting known on the Internet? Well, Dre, I want to play overseas. How can I get started? So I started talking about personal initiative. Don't just sit around and wait for stuff to happen. You have to go and do things. And those four pillars became the foundation of what work on your game is. So I started doing these videos every Monday. Now, mind you, I'm putting up videos every day. This is basketball drills. This is me on the court showing you how to practice basketball. So anybody who doesn't play basketball would not be interested in this. But every Monday, Rebecca, I started putting out these videos called the weekly motivation. And it was just a two to five minute little selfie video before selfies were a thing. <laughs> and I would just, yeah, I would just be talking about just some, some mindset thing that was on my mind. Like, hey, how do you show up every day and work to work? How do you get ready for a big performance? How do you set goals? You know, everything that you want in life, it wants you to, but you just have to go and meet it. All right. Stop beating yourself up about past failures and focus on where you want to go in the future. This stuff that was on my mind when it came to mindset, whatever was on my mind that day, I would just record it, put it on YouTube. Again, two to five minute little video. I did the weekly motivation every Monday for 400 Mondays in a row. Those videos became the foundation of what I do today because there, those videos were the bridge between the basketball players and everybody else. Because the people who didn't play basketball started seeing those videos every Monday and saying, Dre, look, I'm not a basketball player, but I'm subscribed to your YouTube not to learn how to play basketball. I don't want to learn how to do the Kobe Bryant move. But those weekly motivation videos, those apply to everybody. Like Those apply to people who never picked up a ball in their lives. And that planted a seed in my mind. Okay, when I get done with basketball, I'm going to do this because I understood that as soon as I stopped playing basketball, I wouldn't be cool to the basketball players anymore. Like you ask some 15 year old today about Dre Baldwin, they don't know me because I don't play basketball anymore. Right. right? But you ask a, a 35 year old, they know me because they remember me from their days when they were coming up. Right? right. They remember me when they were growing up about basketball. So I already knew that would be my exit plan is that I'm going to take the mindset piece and I could apply this to everybody in life. And then because of the mindset piece, I started hearing from more entrepreneurs because I was doing entrepreneurial things. I knew I didn't want to go get a traditional uh, job after basketball. So when I stopped playing ball in 2015, I went straight into being a full-time entrepreneur. So I'm doing speaking gigs. I'm doing TED Talks. I'm writing books. I have courses. I, I still have these programs that I'm selling. And people saw that and they said, man, you're an entrepreneur. Right? You got a business. And this was a thing because a lot of people aspire to do that. And I was doing it from the internet, which again, you know better but from the outside looking in this looks easy right yeah, oh. all you do is get on the computer and, and talk it's, right? and because it's new <laughs> right it's novel and people it you make it look easy because well you don't have to get drive to work every day and you don't have a boss and all the things exactly. that were frustrating to somebody else you didn't have but you had all this other stuff that you had to do that nobody even knew existed exactly so yeah they're seeing that and they're like, oh, well, all you do is make videos and you get on the internet and talk and you send emails and all right, I want to do that. <laughs> I want to yeah. do that too. So I got a lot of people who had entrepreneurial aspirations coming my way. So I started talking about entrepreneurial things. And then I had actual entrepreneurs coming to me because they saw the way that I was talking about mindset and the fact that I was an athlete, it was novel because they're like, hey, I want to learn how to take the mindset of an athlete and apply it to the office. So they liked that there was a novelty in that. Because you know, how many people get to play a professional sport? So that's kind of what, from 2015 to now, that's basically what I've been doing. So I think that tells a lot of the story. Oh my gosh, there's so much about this that I just want to 
connect every single dot, but we're not going to have time to do that today. But the essence of what I hear from your story, again, is you had purpose and passion for what you wanted each step mm. of the way. And sometimes those wants came out of need. You know, the phone's not ringing, so I got to figure out a way to make money. That's okay. But you knew what you wanted and then you figured out how to get that. And you were willing to do the work and you were listening to that inner voice of your Thrive Guide. Those are so important to people, especially that are looking to pivot in their career. So often people mm. were I say misguided, but not because anybody was maliciously told to do something that they didn't want to do. But, you know, I think back to how many clients I have that a well-intended adult dismissed everything about that child, young adult's interest and said, mm -hmm. you got to go to school for, or you got to go work and do a career where you can um, make a living, which was really a weird way of saying make money. Because mm -hmm. if they were really making a living, they would have aligned it to something that they were interested in. But too often that was misaligned. And then they get to this point in their career where they're like, I don't like this career or this industry or this job. And they want to make a pivot and they get stuck in this, I don't know what I want. Nobody's ever asked me what I want. I just did what everybody thought I should do. And I want people to walk away from this episode reminding themselves there is something that everybody wants, but have you sat with yourself enough to define it and to honor it and to listen to those voices that are guiding you? You've been guided that I'm a big Jesus girl, so that's where I know it comes from. But even if you're not, there's this neuroscience, there's this internal knowing, like you talk about it too, like Things are being brought to you. Are you open to it? Are you receiving it? And you knew what you wanted and you just kept taking whatever steps necessary to take the next and just the next step. You had no idea that this is where you were going to end up. Successful, right. now family, raising kids, writing books, doing talks. You didn't know that when you were broke driving across the country just hoping to get a VCR tape in your hand. But you right. knew enough to know what was the next step and how can I go get that? And I think whether you're 20 or 55, there's something you want that you could take one next step. 100%. And yeah, who knew that this, I mean, Zoom, podcasting, influencing, social media, nobody knew this was going to exist in 2004. Yeah. It was just taking it, like you said, just taking that next step. What's the next opportunity? and I was looking because I knew after reading Kiyosaki, I knew I didn't want to do what I saw the adults around me doing because they talked about work like it was a necessary evil. And I said, I don't want to do that for 40 years. So is there another way? So when I saw Kiyosaki, I said, OK, I want to do something like that. But he didn't even know the Internet was coming. And when the Internet came, I said, this is what I'm going to do. Then social media came. Then YouTube came. Then making money on the Internet came. Then you can create your own products from home. And then all these barriers to entry got removed and it all got democratized. And I just took each time I saw a step, I took the step. And you know, that's how we got here. And there's more steps. Who knows what's coming next? Who knows? And I love what you said about you looked around and saw that you didn't want to do what other adults were doing because work mm -hmm. just sounded dreadful. 
And, and yeah. I say this often to my clients, are you going home to your kids and talking about the good that you did today? Are you going home yeah. and talking about the team that you're leading and the difference that you're making in their lives or for your clients? So we need to talk about work as a gift of community. Commerce can be the most wonderful way to build community ever if you do mm -hmm. it with that kind of intention. But if you just go to work every day to get the paycheck, hoping that at some point you'll be able to retire and have fun. That is a long ass amount of time to be miserable right. until you get to have fun. <laughs> and most people that That's do right. that are so sick and miserable <laughs> by the time they retire that it's no fun anyway. Yeah, um, not enough. My kids were very much directed to what do you love to do? And let mm. and just be curious. If you're curious and can take a next step. I, in fact, I, I didn't want my kids to go to college unless they knew why they were there. Like, don't just go right. because it's what everybody else is doing. Go because mm. you have a purpose. Because you can always go get education. You can get it for free off the internet now. You don't even have to pay an institution for it. That's right. So I think doing things from a purpose and a passion is more practical than people are giving it credit for. And your story is a perfect illustration of that. 100%. And I, I appreciate you sharing that. And the great thing about the world that we're in now, Rebecca, there's so many opportunities to do that if that's what's on your mind and on your heart. Now, my parents, for example, I had to give them some grace because they didn't have the same opportunities that we have right. now. Like, right. You couldn't just write a book back then. Right? Right. You couldn't just start a business for zero dollars back then. Right? There were barriers to entry. But uh, now in today's world, uh, nobody has that excuse. Right? Everybody has available. You can pretty much do anything you want. You can make money from anything from anywhere as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody was saying that to me one day. They were like, you know, I'd like to start a business. I, I just don't know what I do. I was like, you're overthinking it. I pay somebody $12 a week to pick dog poop out of my backyard. Like there, <laughs> right. are, there are business opportunities everywhere. <laughs> Find a need, fill it. This guy, this is his... Side hustle. He's on the phone while he's doing mm. a job that he does from phone mm. while he's driving a truck around and getting paid to pick up dog crap out of people's backyards. Just look around and say, where's a need that I can fill that somebody would pay for? My ex-husband, same mm. scenario. We had a big property and he built a lake on our property by mm. downloading topography maps and getting really interested in how ponds and lakes were built and built us a lake. And then guess what? He, were, he was on these websites giving people free advice. And in an economic downturn in the telecommunications industry where he was working, he lost his job. And I'd come home from work and he'd be giving free advice on these websites. I'm like, people will pay you for that advice. And he's like, well, I don't have a chemistry degree. People don't care if you can solve their problem and they'll pay you for it. And guess what? He has a multi-million dollar business now from that. Mm -hmm. interest. And it's been amazing for him. So I think we overthink it instead of just saying, what am I interested in and what's the next step? Absolutely. And people, what people care about is that you can give them what they want, the certifications and the degrees and all that. I can't remember the last time anybody asked me where I went to school. It just comes up in conversation because I say it, but right. nobody ever asked me that. No right. client of mine has ever asked me, hey, Jerry, before I give you this money, where'd you go to college? Yeah. It Show never me happened. some credentials. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and you know that the other barriers sometimes people have with all the new opportunities that exist, and this is another part of my um, ex-husband's story, is he came home from one of the first clients that he got after he started this business. 
And I said, how'd it go? And he said, great. He said, and, and he was like looking at the check that they had handed him. And he said, I kind of feel bad. I was only there for 45 minutes. We have a time task and labor industrial age model of there's got to be a lot of sweat and time and hours if I'm going to make a lot of money. And that has to get mm -hmm. blown up. That's why we have burnout. And that's why people are sick and exhausted. And I quickly right. said, look, as long as you solve their problem, they'd rather you only be there 45 minutes instead of hanging around in their yard half the day. Like, get in, fix their stuff, and get out. They'll probably oh, yeah. pay you more because you didn't have to spend a lot of time being there. They paid you for your knowledge. They didn't pay you for your sweat equity. Right. I had to, I personally had to do a fair amount of work to undo that way of thinking. So I'm yeah. glad that you brought that up. I mentioned Tim Ferriss earlier. Reading him helped me understand that, that it's not about, you had to put in eight hours to say you did an honest day's work. No, it's about can you give people what they want and you actually want to do it as fast as possible so you can give another person what they want, right? And then yeah. you can start multiplying. But so many of us grow up with that industrial age mindset and that puts a limit on what we can earn. And it's all around the mindset that we have around money and our own personal value. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Yeah, 100%. I still, to this day, I mean, I'm 57. Those patterns run deep. To this mm -hmm. day, sometimes I will say to myself at the end of the day, how many hours did I work? Did I still get at least, you know, and, and like I'm justifying my value for myself. Patterns run deep, man. They sure do. Yeah. That's why mindset. Mindset is the biggest thing. 100%. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, one more thing I want you to share with our listeners, because I love the way you frame it, is you have a book called The Third Day. Yes. What does that mean? The third day is, I'll give you an analogy. So let's say someone hasn't worked out for a while, but they decide for whatever reason, they have some life events. Maybe they're getting married. Maybe they just got divorced. Maybe they just had a kid. Maybe they are going to their high school reunion, whatever the reason. Maybe the doctor told them, hey, uh, you better do something or you got a problem. They decide they're going to get back into the gym. So first day, they're excited. They got some new workout gear. They hired a new personal trainer. They got some new uh, clothes from Lululemon new sneakers and no, they're going to do this. So the first day in the gym is a, is a tough workout because you haven't worked out in a while. The trainer kicks your butt because the trainer wants to show you. I've been a personal trainer before, so we would do this on purpose. We kill you the first workout just to show you how poor of a shape you are in because <laughs> right. that will help us sell you personal training. Right. right? The more tired you are, the better chance you're going to buy. Right. So kill you that first workout and you drag yourself home and you look in the mirror and you say, I'm doing this. But you're enthusiastic because it's just the first day. Now, the second day is a little bit tougher because you have the fatigue from day one on top of the fact that you're not in shape yet to be working out. You haven't worked out two days in a row in years. So the second workout is still tough. Trainer kicks your butt even more to, to make sure you got the point from day one. They drag yourself home with just a little bit less enthusiasm. You say to yourself, I'm doing this. By the third day, already, Rebecca, things change. By the third day, those new workout sneakers feel like they're made of cement. The third day... Your body and your mind are having a difference of opinion. <laughs> Third day is that kind of day where you want to roll over in bed, grab your phone, send a text to your trainer and say, look, just charge me for the session. I ain't coming. <laughs> <All right. laughs> oh, I've done it. That one hurts. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody. When I say that at events, people laugh in spite yeah. of themselves. <laughs> yeah. So the third day. Third day, you go to the gym. You don't even want to wave to the smiling person at the front desk. Right. The third day. Already, you're questioning your whole process for how you came to make this decision in the first place. 
because the third day is that moment in anything that you start, whether that's uh, being a parent, whether it's starting a business, whether it's a business partnership, whether it's a job, whether it's uh, running a marathon. The third day is that moment when you realize that this thing that I signed up for is not all funny games. Right? It's not as it's not an amusement park like it looked like in the brochure. Right. There's there's some actual work here that I have to do. Right. Do I actually want to do this? That's when you start questioning. Do I really want to do this? Because now I see that it's not one big party. Mm-hmm. And the third day is not so much about the occurrence of this happening. It's about the decision that you make when it happens. Am I going to continue to show up and give my best effort consistently as a professional does? Or am I going to be an amateur? Am I going to quit? Am I going to half-ass it? Am I not going to show up? Because, And the reason why this matters, Rebecca, is because the definition of a professional is a person who does something as their main paid occupation. And the subtitle of the book, The Third Day, is the decision that separates the pros from the amateurs. So a professional does something as their main paid occupation. Now, we think of things as consumers because we all are consumers. We don't buy things that we don't know we're going to get. Now, we don't pay for things that are inconsistent. We pay for stuff because we have a reasonable expectation of what we're going to get in exchange for our money. So as a professional, think about this. There are times that all of us do not feel like being at work. I'm sure I won't I won't put you on the spot here, Rebecca, but I'm sure there are times you don't feel like recording this podcast, but you do it anyway. All right. You're you're a parent. I'm sure there were days you didn't feel like doing that parent stuff, but you did it right. There are times in all of our businesses, especially us entrepreneurs who make our own schedules, but at the same time, we have to eat what we kill. So we don't kill anything we can't eat. There are times we don't feel like being at work. We don't feel like picking up that call. We don't feel like putting more uh, information in the CRM. We don't feel like responding to those emails. We don't feel like talking to this client because they talk too much, but we do it anyway, right? right? Because we understand that to be a professional, you have to show up and deliver every time, regardless of how you feel. And when you think about athletes, and I analogize this to sports because my background is in sports. Rebecca, are you a sports fan? I am. Yeah. Right, what's your favorite sport? And team player, who do you like? To, to watch or play sports-wise. To, to watch. Say watch. I'd rather watch football than anything else. Okay. Who's your I mean, I'm here team? in Indianapolis, so I got to show Peyton some Manning? real teams who have Colts. But yeah, we miss him. We miss Peyton. Things are okay, not the so same without Peyton. <laughs> I, I can see that. Yes. <laughs> I don't follow football that close, but I can see that. I know that from afar. So yeah. Peyton Manning, I guarantee you there were times Peyton Manning didn't feel like being at practice. And there were games maybe that physically, I'm sure he got up for the game because not, not that many of them, but I'm sure there were games where he didn't feel like being at the game. But as a fan, you probably couldn't point out which games he didn't feel like being at. Why? Because his performance was consistent. That's what makes you a professional is that you show up every time regardless of how you feel. So now I'm a basketball guy. I'm sure there are games when Michael Jordan didn't feel like playing and they play a lot more games than the football guys. But he played every game. He showed up and delivered LeBron, Steph Curry. There are nights they don't feel like being at the game, but they understand most of the fans in that arena are there because they're there. So you got to show up and get and do your job because that's what makes you a pro. So that's what the third day is about is understanding this, accepting it and then deciding Where in life are you willing to show up like that? Because we're not going to do it in everything. But where do you, where are you willing to show up like that? And even you as a performer, what sports do you like to play? Do you do? I was going to say, it's not team. I'm a runner. I I, I like to. Okay. What kind of distance? I like to run as well. Half marathons were my thing for a while, but I haven't haven't ran one in a while. I I just love to run. So. I'm sure there were times you're getting ready for a half marathon. So half marathon is 13.1 miles. Uh, there are times you had a 10 mile run on the calendar. You didn't feel like it, but you did it. 
right? <laughs> Even though the, you have it. Those are the ones you sleep in your running shorts and have your shoes <laughs> beside the bed. And when that alarm right. goes off at 5 a.m. and you try to have a running partner that's going to meet you somewhere. So you've got accountability mm. too. Like you, you put practices in place to make sure that you can't not. Exactly. So what you just said there, Rebecca, is something I talk about in the book is putting the structure in place that makes the discipline easy. And a lot of people get it backwards. They think, well, I got to make myself disciplined so I can be structured. No, you put the structure in place. Structure goes in the top of the funnel. Discipline comes out the bottom of the funnel. And a lot of people get that upside down. They think they got to be disciplined first to get structure. And that's the reason why they they can't do it. Right. Because they try to force it's themselves like to be something. It's like building a scaffolding for a building of something, right? right? You got to have something around it so you can do the same thing with podcasting. I've got my ring right. light and my microphone and everything already here. So exactly. that's not a limitation to go, oh, well, I'm not going to record something today because I don't want to set it up. Exactly. Because you here. reduce the friction. You reduce the friction by have, having everything set up. So it makes it easier for you to say yes and do what you're supposed to do. This is a good topic because we can put this in a lot of things. I have the same thing for my morning stillness practice. I mm-hmm. have a chair with a table beside it that has my journal, my Bible, and a pen that's mm-hmm. right beside the back door. So when I come downstairs to make coffee, that is staring at me every morning saying, sit down right there and sit, spend some time with the Lord. Like my daily stillness practice has structure to it. It has a place. It has tools. That whole structure thing is a big deal. That can be applied yes. to a lot of things. 100%. And this is what I, I tell people all the time. I, I have created content where I talk about this, why your discipline feels like punishment. And one of the reasons is because people are trying to force themselves to be disciplined. That's why it doesn't work. And I hear from people every day who say, Dre, I got to be more disciplined. I got to be more consistent. Well, that's the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. What they Which actually is need book is that you have. structure. Yes. Ask yourself the right, ask yourself ask a better yourself, question. Right. Ask yourself a better question. <laughs> I like that one too. I think there's so much that is applicable to no matter what industry, what role that you're in when you're talking about mindset and discipline and all these things. So I would love for you to just become a friend of the show. I would love to. I appreciate it. And I appreciate well, apparently the Apparently you write here. books every three weeks or so based <laughs> on your that volume. So next time you get a new book, you let me know and we'll get you on the show and make sure we tell people about it. How can people nice. find you right now for your plethora of information that you have out there? Sure. So I'm on all the social medias. I'm on every platform. I publish everywhere every single day. So I'm probably most active on Instagram, which is just my name, Dre Baldwin, all one word. I use the stories function a lot there. And Instagram just opened up the threads app. So I'm on there pretty consistently right now. You haven't jumped on it? You should jump on it. I send out a daily motivation text message for free. Can I share that number for anybody who wants yeah, to get it? Yeah, please. Yeah, so you just text me at my number, which is 305-384-6894. Every morning, I send out a message that'll have you focused, sharp, and on point to start your day. Guaranteed or your money back. It's a free text. So <laughs> you just text me at that number. You'll get that message every single day. The best place to you know, work with me directly is just workonyourgameuniversity.com. So workonyourgameuniversity.com. But once you follow me on any one of those platforms, we'll be flooding you with messages. Not flooding you, but we'll be in touch. Good Enough that you know though. what's going on. Good <laughs> yeah. stuff. Absolutely. Thank you so yeah. much. I appreciate it. I'm glad that you are in the world doing good work for all of us. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for sharing your platform. Thanks for listening to this episode. I would love it if you would go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. And then you can go to RebeccaFleetwoodHessian.com 
and join the Badass Women's Council. And if you really want to take a deeper dive, join the movement of a thousand thriving women. There's amazing Thrive tools there for you today. Love you, mean it. I'm not coming down. Hey, y'all, fun fact. If you like the music for the podcast, that is actually my son, Cameron Hessian. And I would love it if you would go to Spotify and iTunes and follow him and download some of his other music. My personal favorite is TV Land.